Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Previously on The Mike Wise Show. The answer to the question everybody wants to know. LeBron, what's your decision? Um, and this fall, man, it's, it's, it's very tough. Um, and this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. LeBron James certainly wasn't the first or last player to move on from his original team, but his departure has to be the most memorable. We'll examine the phenomenon of super teams today with the best NBA analyst there is. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you again, Darlene. Look, today we talk super teams with a super analyst, the great Tim Legler of ESPN. Hi, Legs. Hey, what's up, Mike? Always good to catch up, man. As well, as well. As we, re- as we record this on Friday morning, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are still in Houston, are still in Houston, although by the time the show drops, that could change. But we'll have some fun discussing possible teams that uh, these guys might be able to transform into super teams. Um, uh, look, I, hey, I gotta, I'd be remiss if I didn't congratulate you. We talked before the show. This will be your 20th year starting at ESPN. And as someone that made it there three years, um, 20 years is amazing run and uh, just a congratulations off the top. I, I appreciate it, man. I, you know, I didn't, I never expected obviously that I'd be there 20 years when I started out. I, I didn't even know that I was going to go into broadcasting. Honestly, I retired from the league and I, first thing I did was go get my master's degree while I was trying to figure out the next step. Um, I get this phone call from, from someone at ESPN asking me about an audition. I think I had, I think I, if I recall 15 appearances or something that first year, um, they wanted to see if they liked me, see if I liked it. And here I am, man. I just so officially, when you do your first TV leading into the season, it's usually after the draft or free agency. I did my first TV hits yesterday to kick off season number 20. So I, I'm proud of it, man. It's, it's a long run. It's been, it's been my second home for 20 years. Yeah, I, I, I'm upset with the network for one reason only, not anything to do with my own employment. They kept you from being a Hall of Fame coach for the last 20 years. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> That's a gift. Yes, you, you, I know you want to – I know at I some point – I think about you wanna... it every single day, believe me. It's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's – look, I, it's funny because I made the decision when, when, I, when I started out, okay, I tested it out, I liked it. But a big reason why I even entertained it was because yeah. – I had two young children and I was a, I was a single dad. I was going, I had just gotten divorced and I wanted to spend as much time with them as I can. And this job afforded me an awful lot of time throughout the year to spend with my kids. That's literally why I put coaching on the back burner. 
And then I watched my kids grow. I was fortunate enough to coach my kids. And now my daughter, my goodness, she's a second grade school teacher. My son is a senior in college. They now, you know, for the last few years, have been like, it's your time now, man. If you get a job and you got to move, you go get it. My daughter, especially, she said, just make sure there's a house available on the same street because I'm moving in <laughs> on the same street as you because she can't let me be too far away. So, uh, yeah, look, it's something I've been poking my head around here for several years. But uh, if it doesn't work out and I stay at ESPN for the rest of my my working career, I'll be okay with that too. It's a great place to be. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, big news out of the box. Clay Thompson is out for the season. How devastating to miss the whole season for the second straight year. I can't even imagine. And I'm sure people are like, like John Wall in Washington. They're wondering whether he's, uh, he's ever going to be the same. Sickening for him. I mean, yeah. first of all, as you know, talk, you're talking to a guy here that had to, a really devastating Sean Livingston type injury myself in 96. Um, what I put into coming back from that was without question the hardest 12 to 15 months I've ever worked at anything. Physically, what I put my body through to try to ensure I could come back and be the same. And despite that, I played three more years in the league. I never really quite felt the same. So now you have a guy that has gone through this, comes back, and then you know, I, I call it the uh, Bermuda Triangle of basketball injuries, right? There's three that you're worried about. It's the ACL, which he's done. It's the Achilles. And then the rare patella tendon rupture, which has had guys miss a year, year yeah. and a half after. So those are the three big ones. And of all of them, I think Achilles tendon might be the worst of all. Now, you say, can he come back from this one too? Look, the one thing is, you know, he doesn't. he's not a like, super explosive guy, right? He's 6'7" with a lightning quick release, with a high release, doesn't jump much on his jumper. So that still will be there. But the question is, can you, can you move the way that you used to to get free? That's well, that was it. the hardest part. Yeah, that was it. The, the economy of movement with him was one – I mean, it was even better than, I think, Tim Duncan, where you, he, did, he took the least amount of steps to get the play. You know, I, I remember a video that ESPN put together last year. I don't know if you remember it, where he scored about 40 points yeah. on three dribbles or something like that. And I was going, this guy, boy, he, he, he goes back, harkens back to that day where cuts and, uh, and curling off screens and all the things that you learned to do that had nothing to do with dribbling the basketball. Like that's a lost art. And, and, and he needs that to be the player he is. He does. And it's a big part of it. And it's what people will tease me now. You know, I try to stay in shape and they'll say, Hey man, you look like you can still play. And I always say, I know this, if I, if it, if I can get, get it off my hand, it's probably going to go in. I just can't <laughs> get open anymore. That's the hardest <laughs> part. And I think, you know, for Clay, look, the, I, the thing I worry about, honestly, right now, a couple days removed from this, is just the psychological toll on a guy. Because I remember laying on that court when I did my ACL and then going into the locker room. And then even by the next morning when I got the MRI readout at the doctor's office and they told me the news, I immediately started thinking about the next year of my life and like what that was going to be. I wasn't even thinking about, can I ever come back? Yeah. I was just thinking about how hard this is going to be for the next year, what I have to do. So now he's lived that he knows how hard that is and he's got to come right back and do it again. The psychological toll of basically you're talking two to two and a half years of doing nothing but physical rehabilitation. 
um, to try to hopefully get back to be some semblance of what you were. That's what I feel sicker about for Clay Thompson than anything else. And, and obviously we're all going to wish him well in this journey and hope that he does make it back because the league misses him. We miss him. I miss watching those teams with Steph and Clay at their best. It's it just the league needs it. We're going to get Steph, but it's, it's certainly a different element when you got Clay out there too. Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed. Before we get to Harden and all the scenarios in Westbrook, what would happen? The, if you had to give, um, if you had to give Clay Thompson some advice, and I always people always tell me, oh, I'm going to get knee surgery. I said I got knee surgery when I was decently in shape and and not an elite athlete at 36. And I said, don't eat, <laughs> because I, you know, when I when I was laid up, man, I just ate. And um, what would if you had to one or two things where you uh, other than uh, the mental part were really probably the most of it? What would you tell Clay? Hardest part, I think, is is getting range of motion back and pushing yourself through physical pain barriers that you, you don't think you can early. Earlier you do it, the better. Um, and you know he he's been through this with the ACL, so he knows it. Like I said, this is a guy that's super efficient, man. He's you know his height and his release. That works in his favor in coming back from two injuries that take away some explosiveness, right, and some quickness. Because bottom line is he's still 6'7". He still has great IQ for how to read situations, and he doesn't need any time to get it off. He's And he's, you know, I'm going to put him down as the second greatest shooter I've ever seen, Steph being one. So he wow. – he can come Tim Legler's calling Clay Thompson yeah. the second greatest shooter he's ever seen. That's news right there. Yeah, that is. That's it. That's it, man. Imagine those two guys. Now I'm ranking them one and two all time for guys I've watched being on the same team all these years. That's just not fair to the rest of the league. Oh no, I but I feel the same way. It's the greatest, uh, the greatest marksmanship team ever assembled in you know like in captivity. And and they're boy the, the the thing that always gets overlooked, especially in Clay's part, is his defense. Man, yeah, he just nails in your grill. Um, I well, guess I Ray, said, Ray, was, Ray Allen would be in there. Yeah, Ray Allen for sure. I thought for me, Ray Allen was at the top of the list for probably a decade in my mind, and surpassed just by these two guys. And and you know, you talk about Clay's defense. I always said, you know, Steph should be. You know, how, uh, running backs at the end of the season, they have a big year to give their linemen like Rolexes. Yeah, right. He should give Clay Thompson a Rolex every year because he guards the other team's explosive point guards a lot of yeah. nights. So, you know, you don't think that's a benefit for a guy like Steph, you know, to, to not to not have to, to guard the weaker of the two guards offensively and let this guy, you know, guard the Damian Lillards yeah. of the world and the Kyrie Irvings of the world. I mean, it's such a blessing to have a guy like that in your team. Um, here, here's my last point on, on those two guys. So, yeah, well, this year was interesting because basically to me it was a 2019 league. It's like the league existed and the Warriors <laughs> took a year off, right? And so you know it played out, and the Lakers they won their championship, but there's no doubt the Warriors were sitting back, knowing they're getting those two guys back. They still have Draymond Green. They added Wiggins. They had the second pick in the draft coming. They knew that all along. They couldn't wait to get back out there and remind people how great they were before Durant. And also, also remind people how that style of basketball is what wins. So, yeah. so but, and now, look, I wouldn't label them a contender anymore. They can't win a title without Clay Thompson. I do think they can be a solid playoff team in the Western Conference. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it, it bothers me as well, though, because they're, they're, to me, they were the one team that, after all the years of uh, the Suns and um, and the other teams that sort of moved the ball. And, and, um, and actually, you know, like that, they were the team that broke through and won it all. 
and uh, and I go, I go that's that's how that's how basketball's got to be and they play nails deep but um uh, Bruce Bernstein our beloved my beloved producer and yours at one point as well uh he, he wrote down a question saying, uh, would Harden or Westbrook make sense for Golden State? I'm going to say no, because I don't think Steve Kerr would want either of those players. That's just me. But but I'm wondering what you think, if, no. if they could pull off something. Yeah, I completely agree with you. No, I don't think they'd have any interest. I think yeah. the dynamic that changes, um, obviously offensively, and, and I think people, anybody that thinks that James Harden can now be comfortable playing some sort of a of a motion style offense they're they're fooling themselves he yeah. he had he had basketball nirvana for him in houston and i just can't envision for the life of me james harden passing the ball ahead cutting through to the other side like getting a screen on the other side of the floor coming back out and playing that sort of offense that golden state plays where their best players end up on five six different spots on the floor in a given possession that's just not who james harden is or does even with Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, if you look at the possessions, when those guys were initiating it, most yeah. of the time James Harden was standing out by the logo with his hands on his hips. Right. Like, okay, I'm just going to take this play off. I appreciate the rest, but I'm not going to go try to get involved and move around here. Um, so, and I, and I just, it's counterintuitive to what Golden State wants to do with who they have. Now, what I'm interested in is seeing, does that style and system, does that make Andrew Wiggins, even though, his numbers will come down. He's not going to average 25 like he did. Yeah. In but is he going to be infinitely smarter as a basketball player? Therefore, we will view him as a much better player, even if he averages 18, because of the way he's going to get it is going to be so much more efficient. The same for Kelly Oubre. They've never been challenged mentally the way that they're going to be with Golden State with their reads, cuts, movement, um, you know, their vision. Um, Draymond Green there to be in your ear for a guy like Wiseman and Wiggins. Yeah. I like Wiseman, by the way. Yeah, I love him. Not love just him. because of the name, but I like him. <laughs> and you're going to have Draymond Green back there barking at these guys, making them accountable to be better defensively. I just think, yeah. I think that group will get the most out of what they have. And I just think Harden and Westbrook, they're kind of like finished products, man. They are what they are. They're not going to change at this stage of their career, and that doesn't work in Golden State. Yeah. Scenario number one, Harden to Philly. How would that work? Well, I think, look, people think – I was talking to different groups of people yesterday about the Sixers fans in particular, and they're saying, well, we can keep Simmons too. And I said, well, that's impossible. If you get James Harden, it's got to be Simmons, which leaves Harden and Embiid. And I said, that sounds pretty pretty uh, imposing, right? A two-man game with James Harden and Joel Embiid is, is almost impossible to stop. Problem is, I think Joel Embiid would, would be enjoy that for about a week. And then he loses his mind, okay, because, because he's also a guy that has never really pushed himself through certain conditioning barriers. So it's not like he's out there moving all over the place. And to pick and dive, pick and dive, pick and dive, the way Clint Capella did every single time, like Joel Embiid considers himself a superstar. He's not going to do that. He, he's going to want to play a different way. And watching that guy dribble the air out of the ball is going to drive him nuts. Now, obviously, Daryl Morey probably wants Harden in there. And we might view Philly as more like big-time, legit title threat because you got a, you got a scorer like that on the perimeter. They don't have that right now. But I just think the dynamic between Embiid and Harden would not be good. I, I think that Joel Embiid would get very frustrated with that. Mm-hmm. Harden to Brooklyn, same question. Same, same answer, except this time instead oh. of Joel Embiid getting frustrated, it would be Kyrie Irving. Yep. Like, can you imagine Kyrie Irving – 
standing there watching James Harden do that with the ball. Durant is different because Durant is also an isolation-faced player. But Kevin Durant is so good and so secure, he just thinks, well, you know what? That's fine, man. Do your thing, James. I'm still going to get my 30. Like that, yeah. I'm not even doubting that. But for Kyrie to now be uh. moved to like third fiddle, and, and not only that, I think Kyrie probably, and you asked his Boston Celtics teammates, thought he dribbled the ball too much. Now <laughs> he's going to be playing next to the guy that dribbles the ball more than any player in NBA history. I, I just can't. And Kyrie, listen, we all know this, guys. Kyrie gets unhappy. Kyrie starts pouting. Kyrie starts pouting. You have toxicity in your locker room that is hard to overcome. I don't care how much talent you have. So I find that fit with the three of them to be really fascinated. I hope it happens because I'm dying to break that down on a touchscreen. Yeah, I I just – the more you speak, I I completely hear you. I'm one of these guys – like back in the day, the, the, the big lead in the, uh, in the New York Times was something like uh, they had it – was, it was like five basketballs in one player, and they were talking about the 70 Knicks or something, the way they moved the ball. And these guy, like you almost need 10 basketballs for any team that he's on. And you're right. There has to be a certain level of comfort. And, I, you know, I can't say that I don't love watching him because when he gets on fire, it's great. I still like – I still like guys moving the ball. I like letting the ball do the work, and maybe that's old school. You're, what you're saying to me is, if you're James Harden, man, just like, you know, wh- why are you, why are you sniffing at what, like, why, why are you sniffing at being happy? Like, why are you yeah. saying, you know, if you, why are you saying goodbye to being happy? You're hundred percent right. That's exactly how I feel about a guy like James Harden. Look, I, and I said the same thing about Dwight Howard back in Orlando when he went all of a sudden he wanted to go and I'm going to go chase things. Right. And what he didn't know about himself was he didn't want to be held accountable by anybody. Like he got a taste of Kobe Bryant in LA and was like, Whoa, what is this a teammate? Like in my grill asking me to do certain things. He was miserable in Houston picking and diving for James Harden. Uh, he had some really meaningless stops in Charlotte, Washington, you know, and he finally found this year the passion to embrace a role and he played a key role in that team. But I said about yeah. him, stay in Orlando for 18 years. You'll get a statue put up. And, and, and you know okay, maybe you don't win a championship. You end up on, a, on that list of guys that are Hall of Fame players that didn't win a title. Okay, but you are so comfortable there. It's the same thing with Harden. Like, you have everything you want in place for the way you want to play. Stay there. And you'll probably yeah. always be able to get some star to want to play with you every year. He's had a couple now. He would get more down the road. Um, and, and I think he's starting to feel that pressure of, man, I really need to win because they, you know, there's been some real moments in the postseason where he, in particular, has disappeared. And he hasn't played well enough to get his team through certain spots. Well, you go play with a guy like Kevin Durant. That's off your plate. Because that's all going to be at his feet if this doesn't go right. But he wants that ring at the sacrificing of his own game and happiness and how he wants to play. And that is a fine line to walk. And some guys find when they start trying to chase that, they never find that they're as happy as they were in the place where the whole thing revolved around them. And that's what Harden Mm -hmm. had in Houston. And by the way, Kyrie Irving is another great example. He, he left the lane he was comfortable in. Now he might be back there if Harden doesn't come. And that is riding shotgun to another great player. Yeah. Right? 
That's where he was at his best in Cleveland with LeBron. Yeah. He asked, you go be a leader in Boston, develop young players, make those guys feel good about themselves, put your arm around. That's not him. But he didn't yeah. know that until he tasted it. Yeah, the, better be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah. Before we get to the super team history, I want to say, is there a team that is one star away from a possible title that like Russell Westbrook could help to get over the top right now? Oh man, see, so Westbrook, if you hadn't have said Westbrook and you just said, <laughs> and you just said a team Great role needs player. to add a star, if you just said a team needs to add a star, yeah, because they just don't have enough, like, oomph. Okay, I would take a team, for instance, a team like Denver. Okay. Denver's one, uh, you know, all star caliber scoring wing away, I think, for winning it all that they would be an example. I think a team like Utah is pretty darn close if they can add another star to go with Donovan Mitchell with the way that that team defends. But when you're talking about Westbrook specifically as yeah. that star, it, it, it's a little different. And we, all know, we know that. It's because of the way he plays. Look, for five years probably, he was my favorite player in the NBA uh, because I admire the fact that he is always ready to go. Like he's Fearless. a guy that's sitting in a car on a tra on a drag uh, drag race track, right, waiting for the light to turn green. That's Russell Westbrook coming out of the tunnel, and he does it 82 nights a year. He does it for 38 minutes a night. He leaves skin on the floor, I call it. And there's something to be said about that as a teammate, man. You love the fact that I know this guy's going to be ready, but it's the decision making yeah. that is his undoing. And his belief that in this situation for the next four minutes, I'm not going to trust another soul in the building. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's that mentality that gets him in trouble. So when you say plug him in, like with those teams I mentioned, what a no. Because then what happens to Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic? They're not as good as they are now. Um, so my short answer is I'm not trying to come up with a team that he fits alongside another star right now because of his unique style. Um. That was an indictment on him because you're saying a lot of other guys could go to a Utah, Denver, and put well, them over the top. Put it this way. I'll give you a great example. So I think the Milwaukee Bucks right now are significantly closer to winning a title than they were the day before they got you holiday, okay? And if you plug, took him out and plugged in Russell Westbrook, I would say they're not any closer. Wow. And the That's, reason is because, you know, Holiday's obviously – he's people, you know, are calling him now. And when Damian Lillard says this guy's the best defensive player in the league, I'm going to take his word for it, okay? So you're talking about maybe the best defender in the league on the perimeter, but he's also – he's more than that. He's a guy that can go operate with a live dribble in a big moment and get you an important bucket from anywhere. That's what the Bucks lack because that's not Giannis. For all that Giannis does – but when you put him alongside a Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's doing all of those other things, and a Chris Middleton as your third best player, well, now you've got a championship caliber team. Um, I like this because so, you're putting in that you're like playing GM and you're fitting in the pieces. Yeah. And, it's, and, and, and as, as big of anybody and their mom would, uh, any NBA man and their mom would like, whoa, we got Westbrook. But that, it's not always how it works out. The, the flash oh. and the sizzle isn't always how it works out. And you're right. The, you almost need parts more than you need that star. Um, right yeah, and the other, thing, the other thing about Russ is, is and, and you know, we always saw flashes of it, but I think something's happened over the last couple of years. It's gone from a, a, an intensity and a rage he would play with at times 
that really benefited him and even the guys maybe he was playing with, except for maybe a handful of times a year. But now I feel like it's, it's misplaced rage every night directed at something. And, and I don't know that it's, it's productive yeah. for the teams that he's playing on. I think, it's, I think it can overwhelm some of the younger guys he's playing with. I think it puts an incredible amount of pressure on those guys. Um, I just think it gets him out of control because he's, he's beefy. I mean, a perfect example. Two years ago, they lose to Utah in the postseason. I don't know if you remember this, but they played the Jazz. Russell Westbrook made the entire series about his beef with Ricky Rubio. It was awful. Right? And he, it, was, and he, it, was, it, was, it was sort of like one of those, uh, you know, games at the park where it's like, oh, you got one, I'm going to get you back. And it's like, no, no, that's not how you play playoff basketball. You know, and I remember a game in that series, Mike, where he had four fouls in the first half. Because he's picking up Rubio full court. And Billy yeah. Donovan is sitting there, you know, look, I'm not going to say to Russell Westbrook or, or uh, you know, or Durant even maybe are necessarily the easiest guys in the world to coach, okay, because they're so headstrong, they're so explosive, you kind of got to let them go. But then you – Russell, you know, the decision-making can hurt your team. But Billy Donovan's got to be sitting there going, why is Russell Westbrook picking up Ricky Rubio 85 feet from the basket when he's got three fouls in the second quarter? And boom, fourth foul. Okay, you sit, rested a half. He got his fifth in the third quarter, missed most of that quarter. I just remember this game vividly, and I'm saying that was all because – and they lost a close game. That's all because – Ricky Rubio had one good offensive game and you, you, you just got, that became your focus. Not we're going to, we got to get through this series. How do we, how do, we do this? Right. And so, and I think that's why Paul George probably, you know, he's like, okay, I've had enough of this. I, I'm, I'm cool with going somewhere else. Uh, so as much as I love Russell's intensity, I, I think there are other things that come with him that you've got to have certain things in place. And he might be, by the way, if he goes to a team, you hear rumors like I heard Charlotte, right. As an example, right. I, before, yeah, they made their move. And I'm saying, before they got ball, and I go, yeah, okay, maybe that's when he's at his best. Because you think about it, he won a triple – he, he uh, had an average a triple-double and won the MVP after Durant left with a bunch of role players. So if you yeah, got a bunch of role right. players – Right, so well, that's maybe him. That's his lane. That's his lane. And he also wants to win a championship. So now he's got to go play with star players. And it's like – it's not necessarily a great fit for either the, either of yeah. those guys, Harden or, West, or Westbrook. I think you, you hit on something, which is Paul George left Russell Westbrook. Kevin Durant left Russell Westbrook. And I remember talking with a coach that we know very well. I asked, well, why, why would Durant – did he really not like him? He goes, it wasn't that he didn't like him. He said, he said this is the difference between a, going to a team like Golden State and the Thunder. He said, Russell Westbrook um, plays basketball great. He goes, the Golden State Warriors uh, are great basketball players. And he said, there's a much different, you know, like the, the thought, like it's just this big distinction. One guy plays basketball, great. The difference between a great basketball player is the guy, know, you know, he sees the floor, he understands the weakness. Like that's, that's to me is that when Russell Westbrook learns that, man, he's, you know, if he ever does, that he'll be a different player. Moving out of my comfort zone to a new city and community which offers the greatest potential for my contribution and personal growth. With this in mind, I have decided that I'm going to join the Golden State Warriors. I'm from Washington, D.C. originally, but Oklahoma City truly raised me. 
It taught me so much about family, as well as what it means to be a man. That was the great Frank Caliendo channeling Morgan Freeman, reading from Kevin Durant's statement to the Oklahoma City fans when he decided to take his talents to Golden State and create a super team that won two NBA championships. Since the era of I'm taking my talents to South Beach, and everybody's getting in a room and going, all right, how can I get my guys to play with me? Am I wrong, or is it just the reality of the league? I think it's the reality of the league. I think here's where here's where I think the mentality has changed. If you could sum it up, it's this: the window in guys' minds for how long they're going to be with the team is much shorter. So, for instance, when guys got drafted, like you're talking about, you know, not not that long ago, you got drafted by a team. You weren't thinking about your next stop. You were thinking about, hey, man, I might spend my whole career here, and like I'm gonna let's start from day one. Let's build this thing, and hopefully we can win here. Guys, now. Even guys that get drafted, okay, that they just did on Wednesday night, some of those guys are already thinking about where they're going to go when they hit free agency in four years. Okay, wow. they haven't even dribbled a ball in the league because – and here's where it starts for me. So we're talking, let's say, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. The AAU culture, I think, definitely contributes to it. And, and, and a lot of those guys, not only AAU, they play in three, four different high schools in their careers. They then go to AAU teams, and they play on four AAU teams before they're done. In some cases, I've coached AAU, and I've seen the same guy in three different uniforms over the course of one AAU season. And one, of your know, one of your players? No, not my guys. What, the guy I'm playing against. Wow. And, and the reason I know it is because I go, that guy had 30 on us. I know I recognize that guy <laughs> because we couldn't stop him. And now he's playing for this team. And then I saw him again in July. He's on another team. So now fast forward, that's kind of what they're used to. And that's why there's also a transfer epidemic in Division I basketball. Guys go, they play a year or two, something doesn't go their way. They got a teammate suddenly they don't like. The coach got in their butt one day at practice, and they won out. And so I think all of that now also transcends to the NBA. Guys think, I'm going to go create my situation. I don't have to – Stay somewhere for 10, 15 years because I'm I'm obligated to do it. They drafted me. I got to lift them to a title. Like, that's my obligation. They don't view it that way. It's all about tight windows. And as a result, organizations manage their business completely differently. Mm. Um, It's all about putting a group together. Let's go for it for about two to three years. And then you know it's going to fall apart. And, and, And then you try to hopefully reload. That's what it, that's, that's the way it works now. And unfortunately that leaves half the league on the outside looking in because they can't get that level player. Well, and from the, it, it is awful. And uh, there was David Stern, RIP, when he said, you know, super teams, uh, you know, by and large, I want more parity. Everybody wants more parity, but they still make our league. Uh, you know, the most popular the league yeah. was was when Jordan and the Bulls were sort of the death star. And then Shaq and Kobe were the death star. And then in some ways, the Warriors became the Death Star, even though they were the little team that could for a while until they got Durant. But, but I look at, like, I can't even argue with guys because once LeBron said, I'm going to South Beach and I'm going to join Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, you know, they go to four straight finals and they win two. And then KD joins a Warriors team that had just beaten his Oklahoma City team and took lots of heat for it. He wins two rings and two finals MVPs. And, uh, and now he might be a part of another super team in Brooklyn. And 
like I, I can't fault those guys because it's their career and they, you know, they get to scratch that itch if they want. They don't have to be as loyal as their fan base wants them to be. 100% agree with you. But I always tell people too, the reason that I, I'll never indict any player for making these decisions is because those guys carry a burden that the rank and file player don't. And I was one of those guys. No one's going to judge me on my career based on if I won a championship. Yeah. Those guys get judged by that historically. And they carry it, right? That's their cross to bear. Yeah. So you can't blame those guys for doing everything they can to get one. Um, you know, the difference between when you talked about like the super teams. I mean, look, I, I fell in love with basketball in the 80s. It was Lakers Celtics every year, you felt like. A couple other teams in the mix. But the difference was like for the most part, like a lot of those teams, like they, you know, they they grew them, right? For the most part. They, there were some pieces added, but they kind of grew those teams. So you didn't feel the same way. So even though it was the same teams every year. And they had the most talent. You didn't feel like you do now when you feel like these guys are mercenaries, right? So they – and they pair up in the offseason. Back then, you know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson would be inconceivable to play on the same team. They wanted to beat each other too bad. But now these guys take vacations together. So and the culture is different. And, and a lot, again, you know where that all starts? It starts in AAU because you now have opportunities for a kid playing high school basketball, let's say in Virginia – to play against a kid from LA in a tournament in Las Vegas. And they right, and hang out in Vegas. They hang out. They meet each other. They're, they know they're on some list, right? They're, they're ranked somewhere. So they know who the guy is, but now they're actually face to face. And now they're on social media with each other. So they develop, in a lot of cases, these guys develop strong relationships before they're ever even in the league. So that when the time comes down the road and it's appropriate, boom, they pair up. So, I don't – no, I, I, I do not indict these guys at all, man. They, they've got a burden to try to live up to that the average player in the NBA will never have. So I don't, I don't blame them for doing it. Um, it's just that in a lot of cases it doesn't, it doesn't work out, and that's when there's a lot of criticism thrown at them. I mean, for Durant, it did. Right. Let's see and, – and LeBron, obviously, it did. Let's see going forward – which is the next manufactured super team to actually win it all, not just be good every year and come up short. That's why I still love the Spurs is because it was so organic. You draft the guys, you develop them, you know, and, and you turn them into something. I mean, there's, you know, uh, uh, well, you know, Braun, Durant, Harden, all those guys aren't getting together going, Hey uh, man, let's go, let's go to Sacramento. Let's do that town. Like <laughs> nobody's right. doing yeah. Yo, we got a. Hey, the Pacers are hurting. Let's go, man. Like, no, it's got to be. Hey. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be the most beautiful American cities, except for Cleveland. And and you you've got to go to New York. You've got to go to uh, L.A. You got to go to Miami. You got to go to the Bay Area. The four places that I would want to live in America. <laughs> <laughs> you hit it on the head. You know, you make a great point because I was doing a breakdown of the uh, Drew Holiday trade I mentioned. With the Bucks and right, I, I'm, and I'm saying, and I heard people say, "Oh man, it gave up way too much." And I'm going, "Listen, understand something: the Milwaukee Bucks drafted Giannis Antetokounmpo. They never, ever would have been able to get Giannis Antetokounmpo as a free agent. Okay, so they have him in house. You know what that means? You better do whatever it takes to try to keep that guy. And so by showing them, listen, we went out and got you this." Star point guard, you know, guy that's going to put us closer. Now, they lost the Bogdanovich thing, which was interesting because that was a big part of that sign of trade was his shooting. Yeah, what but, happened to Bogdan? What happened with that? He didn't want to go. Yeah, he didn't want to go there. So that, that, Idiot. That, that hurt a- him. I know. I don't, I don't get it either. He's got something else in mind, obviously. But, 
you can go find look, you can go find shooters, okay? But to get Holiday, like no, it's ridiculous. Who who cares about having a bunch of low low level first round picks if you're the Bucks? Who cares? No. You got to do something right now as this guy's about to hit free agency in a year and show him and potentially win a title. And by the way, I, I said they're significantly closer than they were before that trade to the point where I might actually say now they are the favorite to get to the finals. And I, don't, I didn't feel that way about them either of the last two years. I thought they were going to win it this year, but who you know, uh, but championship experience, it always plays out. And Giannis is the kind of guy, a little bit like Duncan, where he's very comfortable in his own yeah. skin and doesn't need that, that spotlight, but better said than, than done. Um, just a thought off the top of my head, AD, LeBron, they don't really need another superstar. Russell Westbrook's from L.A. Just saying. What do you think? I don't, I Russ Westbrook I, with the Lakers, baby. Personally, I, I can't envision LeBron wanting to play with him. Nah, I don't even think – I don't even think LeBron James at one point when Melo was still, like, doing things. Yeah. And, and they're supposed to be, like, best friends, and, and I'm sure they are. You know, and, and he had a possibility to go play with him in Cleveland. And if you remember – LeBron wasn't like out there, like, you know, publicly endorsing that. He just kind of shut up about it. And I was like, yeah. that, that tells me something. And, and so I think even though he might really like, and I don't know that he's got any relationship with Westbrook. In fact, in fact, when they played them in the playoffs this year, there were some things going down with Westbrook on the court. He got into a beef. If you remember with Rajon Rondo's brother had him ejected from the building in Orlando during the bubble and they were showing all that, and they were showing LeBron's reaction to Westbrook in general, and he was just kind of like shaking his head and laughing, like, what's wrong with this guy? So I don't even know if LeBron has a personal relationship with him, but even if he did, I think LeBron is smart enough to know stylistically that doesn't work with, 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 with my team because of the way I'm going to run the team. Uh, I can't have a guy that plays that way. It was probably, probably felt the same way about Carmelo Anthony, who he does have a relationship with. LeBron is very smart about who he knows he can and cannot succeed with. There's yeah. a reason he wanted Chris Bosh to go to Miami instead of a couple other guys that were mentioned at the four spot. There's a reason he handpicked him. There's a reason he handpicked Anthony Davis. Okay. Yeah. Personality-wise, fits perfectly with LeBron. I don't know that a guy like Westbrook would. I don't know that um, a guy like Mello would, a guy like Harden maybe even. So LeBron is smart about that, man. He Look, and they just picked up Dennis Schroeder. Uh, right now, for me, they're the only fully equipped team to win a title. Every other team has questions. The, um, the great thing about this podcast, by the way, is um, we've been going heavy politics the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, I've had all these leftist social engineer lib flakes on here. Okay, guilty <laughs> guilty as charged. And um, but uh, and, and it's and it's been crazy. But I look at something like, you know, the new owner, Tillman Fertitta in Houston, and irrespective of what you think of the guy, you think it's unprofessional of the players that say they want to leave because of that. Um, it, it almost like it, it's almost, and I love that there's a social conscience among athletes now that's this renaissance of guys speaking out. But it's only about if you say what people want you to say. Right. And I have problems with that. Not that, not that you know, you need to come out and say, I love Trump or that, but, but there's no tolerance for anything but being woke. And so, hundred uh, percent right, and that's no. why. I, and that's why, look, you're right. And and and, you know, I was asked recently why are athletes now more injecting their voices more into into social 
causes social issues. I said, well, two reasons. One, they're actually asked about it now. I played 10 years in the league. You don't think that we had conversations in a locker room about the Gulf War? Okay, yeah, we did. But no one asked us about it. Right, nobody amongst, wrote about it. It was amongst teammates. Like, no one came to yeah. us. You know, when I was playing in Washington, they weren't coming to us in the microphone locker room. What yeah. do you think about, you know, what do you think about this? Um, they didn't care. And the second reason is they, the athletes now, because of social media, you have a platform in which you can control the narrative about what you think about something without having to be in a dialogue discussion with a reporter. You can now just in X amount of characters, this is what I think about something and you're not going to be challenged or questioned on it. Okay. It, it's out there. This is what I think. So it, it empowers a player to do that more and to get more involved. And mm. so when they see their teammates out in front of all this stuff and they're the faces of this for the NBA, well, now they're really empowered. Like I actually, I'm allowed to have an opinion on this. Now here's the key. Like you just said, you hit on it. And this basically describes the political climate we live in period. It's all good until you don't agree with me anymore. Then I don't want to hear what you have to say. Right. So that, right. Right, that's, and that's where we are now. So you're, you're, yeah. you're entitled to your opinion as long as it's on a certain side of the fence. That, then you're not entitled to it anymore if you're not, if you're not agreeing with my ideology. So that's where, that's where it can become dangerous. And, and I think we've gotten to a place, unfortunately, politically in this country, we really just don't listen to the other side at all. You, we are entrenched in what we think and we view the other side as not only, you know, the enemy might be too strong a word, it, you know, it's more like a threat. You're a threat to what I think how things should go. You're yeah. a threat to that by, way, by the way you think. And, you know, and, and Bruce Bernstein, our good friend, is a great example of this. Bruce and I have had great political discussions over the years up in Bristol. And, and maybe we have different points of view on certain things. We have so much respect for <laughs> each other that it doesn't matter. Like, we get it. And he makes good points about some things that maybe I didn't see that way. And same, same with me. But that's yeah. not the world. That's not the real world we're living in when you go outside your doors. That's not what's going on. We have divided and dug in and dug trenches and I'm, I'm worried about where this goes and how how far does it go and how long does it yeah. last? you know when um, do we get back to having conversations where we can we can see you know have a good discussion where maybe we don't agree but we don't necessarily want to start throwing the vitriol at each other well Bruce you can jump in too I, I just think that I'm with you. Uh, I won't. I won't submarine this <laughs> this basketball conversation. But I think you got. You're onto something that there. And I'm definitely liberal, but I'm also. I hate militancy on either side. And and I, and I, it's like the the notion that we can't agree to disagree. That everything becomes personal. And 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 how ugly it's gotten lately. It's like you're you're right. It's like be true to your school. Like for instance, if someone on the left does something atrocious i'm not supposed to be upset about that i'm just supposed to have that person's back like no right. that's wrong right. Right. like no as a you before you're a uh, a liberal or a progressive or a republican or conservative you're a freaking human being and like you like i always say to guys that i talk to i say hey look i, I want to know why you voted for donald trump i want to know and if you give me a good reason uh, and I said, because this is what you have to overlook. And then you say, well, well, this is what you have to overlook if you vote for Biden. Like, we can at least have a conversation about it. But if you can't even talk to somebody anymore, uh, it, it almost becomes uh, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a quiet civil war that's just bubbling. And I think, I think Mike, what's really happened it, it, that's changed in my lifetime is, 
and particularly the climate we're in now, is you now, depending on if you're a conservative or a liberal, you now are strictly connected and identified with the candidate. Right. Okay. That's you it. Can't, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, that's it. Yeah. You, you're, you're a conservative. You're a Trump guy. Well, that's actually not true. There's millions of people that would agree with anything you would say about Donald Trump. Narcissist, egomaniac, insecure, immature, all that stuff. Guess what? Most of the conservatives I know would say, yep, I completely agree. But it's the it's the ideology around the two parties and the policies. Like mm. those are the things that matter. And that's not the way it is now. You're, you're strictly identified as you voted for the man rather than the ideology or the policy necessarily. And look, Tr Trump has brought a lot of that to the forefront because yeah. he's as bombastic as he is. We never see anything like it. And so now every conservative got attached to him. Yeah. You're that. You're voting for that man. Well, no, most conservatives are actually voting for policies and ideology. No, look, there are probably some that, that you know, they think his act is great. I don't know a lot of conservatives to think that way. And now it's the same thing with the liberals. If you're a liberal, yeah. you say, well, you're a Biden guy, and now I can go and I can list all the things I don't like about Joe Biden. And somehow, right. if you voted for him, you're connected to all that stuff. Right. And, and that's where we're at. We don't, it's not about ideology, philosophy, um, policies, platforms. It's not about that anymore. It's about the man, the candidate. You are now the candidate if you voted for him. And, well, we, can and all, we can all agree that Bruce Bernstein is Satan down deep, though, wouldn't you? Oh, there's no question about that. Yeah. I can't. I, mean, I can't. can't lay eyes on him. I can't stand extremists on either side. Yeah, there, yeah, I'm going to say there's way. 15 to 20 percent extreme right, 15 to 20 percent extreme left. The rest of us, the 60 to 70 percent of the rest of the country, we're living in that middle somewhere, okay? And that's why I never talk about politics on social media, because you cannot, yeah. for what Legs just said a few minutes ago, if you say, I disagree with Donald Trump about nine things out of 10, but I agree with him about one, somebody's going to say, see, you love Trump. You just, You're can't racist. Do it on, <laughs> you just can't do it on social media. You yeah. have to have those conversations either one-on-one -on -one or in a small yeah. group. That's all I have to say about this. I'm yeah, living no, in that good. middle. I'm in that middle. No, I'm with you, man. I, 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 I stay off it too. I don't, I don't comment on, I think I've made a couple of comments that weren't even necessarily political. They were more based on my observance of some things on social media by yeah. people that I knew well. And it, it was kind of disgusting to me the, the level to which they had drawn um, with exclude cutting people out of their life that they knew were good people. Well, but they disagreed on something. And I, so, and I commented a couple of times on just that overall, but I, 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 I stay out of it, man. I, I have very strong beliefs. Um, and I, and I keep those to private conversations because it's, it's just, it doesn't serve you well, man, to be, to be out there. And I don't think any, anything really politics or any other aspect of life. Why do you need to be, Letting people know every thought that pops in your head on social right, media. Right, right. I got rain checked uh, for uh, Aquafina at Costco. Like, who cares? Uh, like, yeah. the, get, get away. No, you're right. You're right. But even you, like, for instance, I, did, I voted for Obama. I, I liked the, I, you know, I liked who he was. I like, you know, I, I really liked the whole, uh, well, there's nothing, no such thing as post-racial anymore, we found out. But, but I like the fact that America voted for an African-American man. We thought that that was great. I don't like... I don't like a lot of the drone strikes that people didn't talk about and people that, you know, there were a lot of people killed over there as casualties. I thought you made a great point, 
uh, about Michelle Obama talking about uh, uh, dads that were divorced dads. Oh, yeah, and she, was, she, made a she made a comment and it was sort of like, it, it was out of line. It was sort of like Donald Trump is the divorced father. It's like, you know what? There's a lot of people that got divorced that turned out to be hella dads and you were one of them. And it's like, that was, it was insulting. And you know, we didn't, need that. Yeah, we didn't need that in the conversation. Not at all. And I didn't expect to see it. I just all of a sudden, whoa, you know, yeah. you, feel like you're, you feel like you're catching, uh, you know, you're catching daggers thrown at you. And you're just trying to enjoy a sandwich, you know, going through social <laughs> media. I'm like, I'm like, wow, that, that's, that really hit a nerve with me as, as a yeah. guy that got divorced with a five, you know, my kids were five and two and I've completely just killed myself to be the best dad I can. And, and hope to God they never thought about going to dad's house was of some awful thing. And that's basically the analogy she was drawing. And yeah. it, it hurt me and a lot of other divorced dads. And I, I was amazed, honestly, that was a very uh, emotional, quick reaction post on my part, which I don't really do. And I was, I was amazed by the positive support that I got sure. in the comments from that, from the number of people that have been through it also, and how hard and gut-wrenching it is to do it, and how hard you work at it, and how much it means to you as a dad. And I felt she was just throwing that completely in the trash. And it, it just- And, it had, and, and the people that were calm, go ahead, yeah. I cut you off. And I think in some ways she was trying to be funny. And- you got to be careful with that stuff, man, because that stuff can yeah. be hurtful. And again, it's, 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 it's again, and we see this all the time, no matter who we're talking about. It's a comment that's made that is going to certainly satisfy all of the, you know, the country's right down the middle. All yeah. the people on my side of the fence are going to love this comment. They're going to love this. Well, you just really offended a lot of really good people on the other side of the fence. Well, I was going to say, a lot of people who showed up on your feed they weren't political at all. They were just right. people. They were just people yes. who felt that way. And, right. and that's where we, that's where we got to be. We have to meet in the middle. All right. I'm going to let you go. Cause you got another interview. The NBA season starts up uh, December 22nd. I'm going to see a lot more of you on t television, man. This has been great. I uh, really appreciate it legs. And um, shoot, you and Christina have the best Halloween. Um, you also, I've got a Christmas wreath in the back. I can see, which is just, uh, you guys are already decorated for Christmas. Yeah, God bless you. And you see what's like right under the tree, my three-point championship title. Oh, that is your three-point championship trophy. That's yeah, awesome. I was there that I was there that night. I remember. I was there that night. I was there that night. That was. Did you, yeah, did you put right. up? Did you put up your finger and like bird? And, uh, no, but you, I, you, you were so money that night. I remember. We I got into that, a thing I, that I, night. I, I tell, I'll tell you this. I'll finish with this. So they gave me a, they gave me a twenty thousand dollar check that night. I wasn't even thinking about the check. The guy hands me an envelope at, at half court with the trophy. I didn't know what it was. I was like a congratulations letter. Like, I didn't know what this was. I I go open it as I'm walking off the court. I'm like, oh my god, it's twenty grand in here. So I go to the press conference and they say, well, you know, what are you going to do with the twenty thousand dollars? And my daughter was born ten days, my oldest child, my first child, before that night. I said, well, it's, this is going to go into a college fund for my, you know, my daughter who's 10 days old, who I can't get home to, you know, share this with. And uh, fast forward down the road, you know, with a few more contributions by dad along the way, certainly, but that uh, ended up paying for the vast majority of her college education. Wow! And she's now uh, 20, she'll be 25 in February. She's in her third year of teaching second grade. So I couldn't be prouder of her. What a great, where'd she go to school? She went to Newman University, and she was a thousand-point scorer at Newman University. Also. Oh man! Oh, what's her she name? She set a uh, lot of three-point records at Newman University. Uh, Lauren, Lauren Legler. Oh, Lauren Legler! Wow, wow, that's a great story. Where was that All-Star game? San Antonio. Oh, I, oh, this was so. This was ninety-five. Alamo Dome. 
90, it was, it was uh, the Feb, technically February 96, but yes. February 95. 96, yeah. The one where Shaq probably should have got the MVP trophy, but they gave it to Michael. My That's favorite right. thing about that contest, and I mean, I watch, I've watched that probably four or five times over the years. My, you know, it's fun sometimes with my son to watch it. Uh, Juwan Howard, my teammate, that was his only all-star appearance was that, that weekend. He's sitting courtside as I'm performing, and he's got his suit on like all the other all-stars did, and I'll never forget – so I go first in the last round against Dennis Scott, and I, I hit 20. Pretty good number in the last 3D. round. 3D. And Juwan Howard, if the camera pans over to Juwan, Juwan gets up, and he's going up and down to Reggie Miller and a couple other guys sitting there going, give me my money, give me my money. Because he clearly had bet on me. <laughs> That's he, awesome. He the greatest thing in the world. And, and, and Reggie Miller's, like, shaking his head laughing, and, and Juwan's trying to collect his bets. I was – he's talking about feeling, like, supported, man. That was the most awesome thing. In the world, and Rasheed Wallace was down there in the rookie softball game. So we we were well represented in Washington that year. That's right, the Wizards, the Wizards rep. Oh man, that's great stuff. That was dope. It's time to wrap things up for this week. Thank you very much to the incredible Tim Legler for sharing his time with us. Thanks also to my producer Bruce Bernstein for whatever he does around here. Thanks also to our talented editor Tom Phillip. Please listen to all of our Pure Hoops Media shows. Full Court with Jenny Fisher with her new co-host, Kara Kay, comes your way every Tuesday. Jenny's most recent guest was Ryan Howard of Kentucky, one of the top women in the SEC. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here each Wednesday. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure drop in every Thursday. And BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman are here every Friday with the Pure Hoops podcast. And I'm back each Monday with the Mike Wise Show. Please listen, review us, and leave a five-star rating. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Finally, COVID-19 is still destroying lives across the country. It's apolitical, doesn't have a party. So please wash your hands and stay at least six feet away from others. And wear that mask, like Bruce's Boston Celtics mask. Make it a designer mask. I don't care. Just leave it and put it on. And please treat everyone around you, even strangers, as friends and be considerate. And don't forget to keep our medical professionals in your thoughts. Also, we all need to continue working for social justice as we strive for a more just and inclusive society. So please do your part. Till next week, aloha. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.